Hi, my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is October 18th through the 24th, and it is Doctrine and Covenants section 121 through 123. So if you prefer receiving your Come Follow Me lesson in a different medium, you can check out the description below because I post my podcast and my blog in that description. So the background for these chapters. The saints have probably found themselves in one of the worst situations they have been in as of yet. So they've already been through a lot, lots of persecution, but this is probably one of the worst situations they've been in. First of all, Thomas B. Marsh, who was president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, has apostatized. There is persecution coming in from all ends, right? All around far west Missouri, there's persecution everywhere, and they're trying to drive the saints out. Some of those saints are throwing up their hands in a call for peace, and they're still getting in lots of trouble and being shot down, and then others are trying to step up and defend themselves and defend their family, and then they find that rumors start flying and everyone believes that it's the saints' fault that there are all of these issues. Their leader, as well as a few other men, have been thrown into Liberty Jail. Many of the saints find themselves homeless, right? They're driven out by the native Missourians. They're driven out of far west, find themselves homeless and cold in the snow without very many resources. And perhaps one of the most painful feelings in all of this is the feeling that they have been abandoned by God. It was in this situation that Joseph Smith penned a prayer to the Lord. And this is the beginning of that prayer. So this is Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, verse 1. And it says, O God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? So as Joseph goes on in this prayer and he's reading, or he's writing, I guess, as he's praying, he's pleading for deliverance for the saints. And while I imagine that he is mostly pleading for deliverance from the mobs, because they were an immense problem, right, at that particular moment, the Lord doesn't only respond about the mobs. So the Lord does respond. He talks about what's going to happen to those who fight against the church. But the Lord takes it a step further. And he actually goes on to talk about those who persecute the church from within the church. So he talks about how he talks about people who take the priesthood power and use it to abuse others or attempt to take this priesthood and use it to control other people. Now, I find this interesting because this is around the time that Thomas B. Marsh apostatized. Now, Thomas B. Marsh was very disgruntled with Joseph Smith. He was seeing his weaknesses and he was pointing out everything that was wrong with Joseph Smith, blaming everything on Joseph Smith. He believed that the foreign missions in Great Britain were going to fail without his leadership. And then his wife got in a fight with another lady over a pint of cream and Joseph Smith sided with the other lady rather than Marsh's wife. And that seemed to be the final straw for Marsh. So Marsh and his family flee under the cover of night and they leave the church. They leave their people. However, Thomas did not just leave. He wrote a letter to the Missouri governor. He wrote an affidavit. And in this letter, he blackens the name of the saints. He tells lots of lies about them. Lies about Joseph Smith, but lies about all of them. 
And this letter turns the neutral Missourian governor against the saints, right? It's because of this nefarious letter that the extermination order against the church is signed and put into practice. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Thomas B. Marsh's hatred for Joseph Smith was so intense that he was willing to call down destruction on an entire group of people in order to get back at Joseph Smith. There's another verse I want to read. This is Doctrine and Covenants 121, and it is verse 38. So this is the Lord speaking about those who those who choose to fight against the church from within the church. So verse 38, it says, Behold, ere he is aware, he is left unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints, and to fight against God. This verse could be used to describe many a person over the course of history, but it could have very easily been penned about Thomas B. Marsh himself at this point in time. The kicking against the pricks, it's a phrase that comes from an agricultural, agricultural concept. It, the pricks are essentially an ox goad. So the farmer would use this ox goad to prod his oxen along to plow the fields. And it's interesting because what would happen is if the ox would rebel against the farmer, they'd start kicking against this ox goad against the pricks and they would find rather than finding freedom that they were desiring, that the iron would just be driven further into their flesh. So it's only hurting them, right? And it's interesting because the more that they pushed and the more that they rebelled, the harder it was on them, not on the farmer. Now, Thomas B. Marsh actually ended up repenting. And he crossed the plains and went to Utah and begged for forgiveness. And praise be to those saints who, for, who forgave him. And he was invited back into the fold. However, for a second, I want to talk about what might have happened had he not repented and had he continued to kick against the pricks the rest of his life. I like to believe that Thomas B. Marsh was blinded by his anger, that he let his anger get the best of him. I'm not trying to excuse him because what he did was very wrong, but I like to believe that he wasn't a completely evil man. A stupid, he made a lot of stupid choices, excuse the adjective, but I believe it's appropriate. He wrote a letter full of lies and he sided with his wife who was essentially stealing from this other lady. And had he died without repenting, he would have been able to, been able to, he would have had to face the truth of his choices, right? He would have been able to see the consequences of his actions. He would have seen the families being driven out of their homes into the snow with nothing. He would have seen fathers looking for their families who had been separated they would have seen he would have seen children crying mothers crying probably fathers crying too he would have seen exhausted mothers trying to keep their children warm in the snow with nothing around them and he would have seen emma smith's face as joseph was dragged away to liberty jail imagine that for a second these were his people. Sure, he hated Joseph Smith and he probably wanted bad things to happen to Joseph Smith. He probably wasn't sorry that Joseph Smith got thrown in jail at that particular point in time. But these were his people. These were people that he loved, that he largely had no qualms with. 
most of these people he had led and loved and taken care of and served and had been served by, right? It was Joseph Smith that he hated, but he called destruction down upon all of these people and he would have had to live with that for eternity. And something tells me that he would not have wanted to live with those people for eternity. He probably would have wanted to step away because of the choices that he made and because he didn't repent. There is a solemn lesson for us in this. This story, I've heard it before, but reading it this time, it is particularly poignant to me. Um, a couple videos back, I talked about a little bit of upheaval that my family has been experiencing lately. And interestingly enough, this upheaval has all come about because of one letter that was written by an angry man who was trying to get back at people who wanted, he wanted to control people. Because of this one letter, some of my family members found themselves without a home. My husband found himself without a job, as well as a year's worth of work just completely down the drain. We found ourselves face to face with some pretty powerful people who had the power to financially destroy us. And if I were to talk about all of the effects that came from this letter, this one letter, this video would be far too long. And this letter, interestingly enough, was directed towards destroying some of my family members. That was the whole point of the letter. Unfortunately, the nasty effects of this letter spread out and it affected innocent bystanders who had nothing to do with the situation. And some of these innocent bystanders now find themselves with extremely, extremely limited career opportunities, future career opportunities, and some of them have found themselves in uncertain housing circumstances. And it was all because of an evil letter written by an angry man who wanted to control people. When it all was first occurring in those first few days, first few weeks, I remember finding myself praying about this situation. And I was praying for the Lord to interfere, to place these people in the same holes that they had dug for us. I pleaded for angels to interfere and come and confound our enemies who sought our destruction. And as I was praying, my prayer started to feel hollow almost. It kind of started, yeah, it started to feel hollow. I didn't quite know the words that I wanted to continue with. And as they started to feel hollow, I received the impression that Heavenly Father was telling me that that's not what I needed to be praying for, right? Because that's what the prayer is about. We're supposed to be aligning our will with Heavenly Fathers and Heavenly Father was teaching me that that was probably not what was going to happen despite the fact that that would have been justice, right? Despite the fact that I got this answer from Heavenly Father, that it was going to be a no, probably, for a while at least, <laughs> I was still felt, I was filled with this incredible amount of peace. An incredible amount of peace and awe at the Lord's wisdom. My eyes were opened and I saw that this angry man was kicking against the pricks and pushing that iron further into his own flesh. I saw 
that because he was choosing power over his own family, he would have to live without his family for eternity. The Lord was going to reward him, reward him with exactly what he wanted, but that it would be the bane of his existence for eternity. Anger blinds us. It leads us to make choices that hurt other people, people that we sometimes love. It causes us to kick those pricks further into our own flesh. It rarely serves <coughs> those who are actually angry. Now, after this answer and the time following that answer that I received from the Lord, I found myself wanting to speak with the author of this letter many different times. <laughs> and I didn't always know whether that was the right choice to go about at this point in time. But I often pictured my conversation with the author of this letter. And sometimes in my mind, as I was imagining it, I pictured him seeing the wisdom of my words and seeing what his eternity was going to look like should he continue down the path that he had chosen. And then other times when I pictured this conversation, I actually imagined him coming after me personally. And that kind of scared me a lot <laughs> because even though I knew that my family was innocent and even though I knew that I was trying to love him and open his eyes, he was capable of bringing down destruction on other people. And as I was thinking this and I was getting a little nervous, I once again received peace from my Heavenly Father. And though my Heavenly Father gave me different words, it was the same message that we find in Doctrine and Covenants section 122, verse 7. And this is the Lord speaking to Joseph Smith. It says, And if thou shouldst be cast into the pit, or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness, <coughs> and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. I was reminded that though things can seem kind of rocky, I truly have all that matters. I have a husband who truly adores me, and I have happy children. And most importantly, I have the hope that one day when I die, I will be able to stand before my Heavenly Father and my Savior Jesus Christ, and I will have the hope that I can remain there with them. One day, all of us will be placed on equal grounds. There will be no status to hide behind. Money will be good for nothing but fire starter. The illusion of being able to control other people will vanish. We will all be placed on completely equal grounds with each other. The degree of happiness that we experience in eternity will come completely from our choices. That's it. That's all you get is the happiness that comes from the choices that you made in this life and who you've become because of those choices. There will be no 
mortal inequities to hide behind anymore. You'll have to live with your choices. I'm not pretending to be perfect. I know that I have plenty of my own flaws and there have been plenty of times that I've hurt people in my own life. But I believe in my savior. I believe that he has the ability to make me better, to make me less judgmental and less angry and more forgiving. I'm grateful that he reminds me that I have everything that matters. Everything that brings true happiness, I have it. And that no power on earth, nothing, absolutely nothing can take that happiness away from me. I am grateful for him and his wise counsel. I'm grateful that he allows us to have our agency, even though sometimes it's rough. <laughs> I'm grateful for the atonement that comforts us, even when we experience those earthly inequities. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.